thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Thread. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley, and welcome back for Thread. This is episode 41, and I am enjoying the fall monsoon season. Here in northern Thailand, we don't just have rain. We have, oh boy, what would this be? Like the heaviest southern USA thunderstorm flash flood, only it doesn't stop for three months. You'll have hours of the day that it's clear, and every now and then a day with no rain, but then, boy, inevitably it is coming, and when it comes, it comes, which is good for the rice harvest, Um, and it's also quite pleasant if you've got a dry house, and my house is semi-dry. We've got a leaky roof, and I've got a bucket behind me trying to catch it, so today you will probably be soothed into a um, semi-sleep as you listen to Thread by the sound of the falling rain. Well, today is, uh, I guess I'm in a really good enough mood to deal with this topic, because it's a kind of topic that can really irritate pretty much anybody uh, who's sincere about following the Lord, and that is the topic of professional religion. Professional religion. So, If you don't have your Bible sitting right in front of you, why don't you run and grab one and come right back. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, so I'll be right back for Thread. All right, we're in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And let me just open with a question. What is your general response to institutional evil? You know, this isn't just the evil that's in us or the evil that you run into in an individual. This is institutionalized evil. You know, a situation where a whole system, it might be culture-wide, it might be, uh, you know, however big the group is, the institution of the community has now absorbed the evil and is itself an agent of evil. You know, it's just so big. You look at uh, circumstances of injustice, and, uh, you know, we've got our modern uh, whipping boys of all the things that we think are really, really bad and that whole societies have engaged in. Um, But really, if you want to look down through history and look at where some of the great institutional evil has come from, you've got to say it's come from religion, uh, especially religion in the hands of the professionals. You know, the individual search for God kind of religion hasn't gotten the world into too much trouble, but when you have institutions that grow up around religious systems, uh, oh man, the things that can be done in the name of religion. Uh and it's just so big, you know, and you, you look at it and you, you can clearly see that it's wrong, but we can easily say, you know, what can one person do? Well, Jesus shows us what one person can do if you're willing to do it, because it's going to cost you. But again, you know, that's the core message of this book, is that the disciple of Jesus who stands and takes on the ministry of Jesus 
um, will at times come under persecution. That ministry of Jesus is not always comforting. It just depends on who you're dealing with. You know, Jesus came to earth as God's son, here to reveal the heart of God to us. You know, who is God really like? What is he like as a person? And because he created this world, it belongs to him. And he takes what goes on here very personally, especially in the area of worship and spirituality. In every culture, religion naturally springs up. You know, the soul cry of the created, seeking their creator. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a pure thing. And then man organizes it, and we decide that some hierarchy is needed. And then fallen power invades it as spiritual war. Greed invades it as a spiritual war. And then this institutionalized um, version of religion takes place. It's got buildings, it's got, you know, priests and special clothing and ritual and rules, and someone gets the power in this religion. And this is true of all religion. And then religion can become tainted by evil. It can even become the instrument of doing evil. And yet you have to, um, well, church has been so wonderful to me in my life. I've had, I would say, 90% of my experience as a Christian in church has been a, a beautiful experience. And maybe half of the experience I've had is is sublime. It's wonderful. I've found God's people. I have been loved. I have been uh, helped to get away from my sin. And, you know, so um, in my life, it's mainly gone well. But I have seen other people that, golly, have they suffered. Um, Not at the hands of their, uh, their non Christian family, but they've suffered in the church from the people who are the power people in church who use, you know, the authority that they can get their hands on and then, like, just turn it and attack and hurt someone. And this is serious business for God. This, is, this touches him in the deepest place. Jesus didn't come. I can't find anything in Scripture that leads me to believe that he came to found another religion. You know, he came to establish a kingdom. He, he almost never speaks of the church. He only speaks of it you know, twice in Matthew. And you expect him to constantly talk about the church and how our churches should be organized and what's the best way to plan a church, and he doesn't. He, he just doesn't deal with that much. What he talks about is the kingdom of God. He talks about the personal connection between God and man that he has come to establish. And it's clear as you watch what he's doing, he has come to displace the establishment of religion as a power all by itself. And he has come to institute a father-son, father-daughter relationship between God and the people he created. And this is going to lead inevitably to the necessity of persecution and even persecution for God's true children, because it is not possible to bring change to corrupt religion without confrontation. 
And the evil in professional religion is so great because it's a toxic mixture. I mean, this is like the cocktail that kills you. It's a toxic mixture of power plus religion. And you, know, you can handle power, and it, it can, you can see horrible abuses of power. And you can see twisted religion. But when you put power and religion in the same beaker, you've got a truly toxic mixture. And there will be a violent reaction. If you deal with institutional, institution keepers of religious, whatever, uh, hierarchies, those people, they are so conservative, they cling to this thing that they've got. Now, it may be a church of 20 people, or it may be the Hindu temple that you know hardly anybody even goes to. But I tell you what, somebody is top dog in that structure, and he will fight. If you do anything that you know looks like it's going to threaten that thing, you just get all this stuff that comes up from the darkness. And the, the purpose of Mark is to prepare us as a church for persecution. It's to prepare us for persecution, in this case, at the hands of the religious. Uh, and our modern religion is secularism. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the greatest uh, affront to modern, modern thinking, as far as from religion, is the Christian claim the exclusive claim of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if we said he is one way, you know, he's also another, I don't think there'd be any issue. But that has never been the gospel, and thank God the church has pretty much held on to that, even in these days. And so that leads to the characterization of us as Bible thumpers, you know. Uh, atheism is a new religion. Uh, it just keeps coming back up. It's kind of a modern religion. It's not something that's been popular through history. People could look at the created world, and you know, and without electricity, they had a lot more time to look at the created world, and they just could not imagine that there's not a God. So you know, that's kind of a modern rationalistic concept. And yet, but you know, this book is is all about letting us know we've got to prepare ourselves because there are going to be times in the purity and the sincerity of your walk with God, that you are going to be met with a violent reaction. And especially from institutional religion, if you are evangelizing, which is the whole purpose of the church. And so these chapters in Mark reveal um, the daily heightening of tension between Christ and the authorities. In the last year of his ministry, he has turned from doing healing and teaching and he has now turned toward this system, and he confronts it. He confronts the obvious evils in the professional religious system and in its leaders in particular. And now he has brought this confrontation right to Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He appears there daily for one week. He is openly addressing their evil ways, and today he pulls out the big gun. He uses story. One of the most powerful teaching tools God ever gave us was story. Because they're like, it's like a grenade. You can wrap all kinds of truth in story and just kind of roll it into a crowd, and everybody will sit there and watch the thing. And it, it, you know, later on, it'll go off in their heart and they, they get enlightenment from it. And so instead of just standing there, he, you know, some days he does, he just goes toe to toe and he fights these guys in verbal, he'll just have a verbal conflict with them. And confront them, but today he he is 
he's uh, he has worked out this story, and he sits down. The people all gather, and he tells this story, and and you know they get it. Everybody there gets it. So let's let's dive into that story right now. Chapter twelve, verse one. Then he began to speak to them in parables. This was his story: a man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers, and he went into a far country. Well, we'll just stop there. Um, you know, there's four components here in God's own uh, vineyard. God is a maker of new wine. He's making new wine every single day, and it's always, you know, the, the issue, what we could get off on here, but I'm going to try not to is the whole idea about what do you do with an old wineskin, because that's where a lot of this comes from, is that you get wineskins that are no longer fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. It's all old stuff. Uh, They want to talk a lot about tradition and the good old days, because there's not much happening right now. And it gets in the way, and it fights the new wine. But, you know, God is the maker of the new wine. And here he talks to us, uh, already as Jesus set the story up, He has set up four components in the thing that God has established. This vineyard is not made by man. This vineyard in this story, uh, this this place of new life, this place where lives are changed, this this place where the, the search for God is met, this vineyard is made by God, not by man. It's not made by hands. And in the story, he says there's four components to it. Number one, there's the vine. And in John's gospel, Jesus says, that's me. I am the vine. Everything good in life flows out of me. Everything about your relationship with God comes through me. Everything about transformation and change that will go on inside of you, that comes through me. I am God's official, uh, not just representative, but I am the source of nourishment to you. He goes as far as to say, without me, you can do nothing. So we, you know, we tap on to Jesus later on. He says, drink my blood, eat my flesh, take me into you, make this deep and personal and let me go to your soul because I'm the one who's going to produce all this good inside of you. And praise God, he has done that in my life. And I'm sure that you can give the same testimony. Jesus is the vine and the whole vineyard is about him. And everything good that happens in the vineyard is about him. God planted him in our lives. And the fruit is the fruit of Jesus inside of us. And the fruit in our religion, our search for God, is going to come from Jesus. And the more Jesus-centered it is, the more it's going to bear pure, beautiful, good fruit. Now, not only is there a vine... But if you're going to have a vine, you have to have a hedge. You know, there has to be a a dividing line. You have to protect the vine. There has to be a clear, defined authority and a sense that you can be outside of the vineyard. Now, thank God, by grace, we're welcome to come inside the vineyard, but we're not born inside the vineyard. The door is open if we will repent There is an offer from God to forgive and adopt and by grace bring us inside his family. But repenting, you know, turning from our ways, our evil ways, 
is a requirement to enter the vineyard. So there is an inside and there is an outside. There's an authority. There are insiders and outsiders. And number three, there's a vat. That's where you harvest it. And, you know, for God, this whole enterprise that's going on on the earth right now, it's about harvest. And the church needs to get that because lost people matter to God and they have to matter to the church more than they they do. Um, the whole point for this, you know, if it's up to God, he'll just say, okay, that's it. Let's all, let's go to the next stage because the next stage and, you know, the, the real birth of the kingdom of God on earth and transformation even of nature and Jesus reigning physically and living physically with us on this planet and that this becomes the new center of God's um, God's holy place in the whole universe, that's where this story's headed, and that's the whole point of what Jesus did in bringing the kingdom. So, you know, God, he is not delaying that. He wants that. But the scripture said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's all about the harvest. It's all about the vat. And so the vine is producing the vineyard is now defined with authority. There's inside and outside the vineyard, and there's that vat because it's all about harvest, and church needs to be about harvest. And, you know, my experience is as long as church is about harvest, church is healthy. There's people getting saved. There's young ones to take care of. There's natural life going on in a church. Uh, but the older a church is, the more you're going to fight as a leader to keep it about harvest. It's going to become, oh, I don't know, Christians can think of all kinds of things to do besides the harvest. And we just disconnect ourselves from all our relationships. All we know are Christian people, and church becomes about having church, and then it becomes the possession of some group. And now are you loyal to us, you know, or are you, they'll preach all those don't touch God's anointed scriptures. Um, is it about harvest? A harvest church is a healthy church. And then the fourth thing, there's a tower. This tower is there for oversight. This tower is there for defense because we know the enemy is out there. And this tower is there to protect the vineyard and everybody in it. And so when God establishes something, he establishes all of that. It's a Jesus-founded thing. If it's from God, it's going to be founded on Jesus. There's going to be a clear line of authority drawn around it. It's going to be about harvest, and there's going to be oversight and protection from God, and God is going to establish leaders who will also help on the human level to defend and oversee this thing. Now, let's go on with the story. At vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers. These are professional vine dressers, okay? They're paid to produce uh, to bring in the harvest. He sent a servant that he might receive some of the fruit of the vine from the vineyard, from the vine dressers. And they took this servant and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Now this tells me two things. One, God cares about the harvest and he expects there to be harvest in his vineyard. Number two, God has servants that he trusts and he sends his servants on his business. And that's what the prophets have done through history, and they have come to the vineyard. And historically, even in the religion of Jesus' day, they have been abused. 
by the keepers of the vineyard. And he sent another servant, verse 4, and they threw stones at that one and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully. And he sent another one and they killed him. And he sent many others and they beat some and they killed some. Now you cannot say that God is vengeful and hot-headed and easily provoked. That's the point of this story. God is patient and loving, and he gives you chance after chance, and he has been reaching out to this vineyard and to all these vine keepers. He is not going to abandon the vineyard. It's his vineyard. and But these vine keepers have taken control of his vineyard, and they are not behaving in a way that's appropriate, and now they're full-on evil criminals, and they're killing the innocent, they're wounding the innocent. And so verse 6, he had one son still, his beloved son, and he sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. See, he still believes in the best in those people. Verse 7, but those vine dressers said among themselves, hey, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. These professional religious people, they didn't build this vineyard. They didn't sacrifice for it. They didn't envision it. They didn't invest in it. They are totally without passion or imagination, and yet they want to uh, own it. They feel they they have the right to its fruit, and so they recognize the authority in this son, and instead of bowing to it, they want to kill him. And so Jesus prophesies his own death at their hands that very week. He said, so they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. And he turns to the crowd. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Oh, he will come and destroy the vine dressers. And he will give the vineyard to others. God is not going to forsake the vineyard, but he is going to deal with these men. And then he quotes a scripture from the Old Testament. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. And the authorities sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him, and they went away. You see the justice of God in the end and his establishment of Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And as uh, Matthew's version of this story goes, let me just read you verse 43 of Matthew 21. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So praise God we have the opportunity to fall on Jesus and be broken and be humbled before the great stone of God's judgment falls on us and totally pulverizes us. Now the clerics get the story, and at the end of this week, they really will kill the son and believe that they have taken charge of you know, their business once again, because Jesus was there interrupting their business. He had wrecked their tables three years before, and now he's back and he's done it again. Uh, but after they kill him on the third day, he will arise and he'll meet with his followers for the next 40 days. 
And then 50 days after that, Pentecost will come. His church will be established uh, with a new kind of people base of all the nations of the earth, no longer uh, the sole property of one ethnic group. God will invite all the nations into his vineyard. And 35 years later, all of these new believers will leave Jerusalem. And the Romans will come in shortly after that, besiege the city, and tear it down stone by stone. This temple will have nothing left standing. And that's just what Jesus prophesied, because this, this whole uh, extended passage starts as the disciples walk through the city and see the temple, you know, which was built by a man with dirty hands, a corrupt politician, and they're going, oh, gee, how beautiful. Look at this. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left in this place. God will deal with it. So until the Lord comes, we do our very best to be salt and light and to be instruments of peace and life in the church. And we keep our, uh, our hands free from professional religion. And if you're called to serve in the ministry full-time as I am, then that's going to be a very important and interesting part of your life's journey is how do I, you know, in a sense, make my living serving God in, in His temple, in His vineyard, and not become part of any corrupt uh, institutionalized religious system. And that would actually be the great, a great opportunity for some comments. So if you've got some thoughts along this line, please drop me a line. Or you can leave it on the website, quinley.com, or on the Facebook page where this will post. Or you can email me directly, chuck at quinley.com. God bless you. Have a fabulous day, and we'll see you next time on Thread. Thread, a singular thought expanded upon Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org.